Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me today, and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. So, um, Facebook site, Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So, folks, uh, have a great guest today. And uh, our guest is Lisa Taylor, who I met uh, going out to Ohio um, when I went out to work with Ohio PCIS. And PCIS stands for Post-Critical Incident Seminar. And that's to work with uh, first responders. And by first responders, I mean uh, police, fire, EMTs, um, corrections officers, dispatchers, and um, and actually some military has started to join that whole program. And, and that's designed to help people uh, into wellness and um, overcome just cumulative buildup or maybe just a particular stressful event, event that they went through. And, and we help these folks uh, really just take care of themselves. And it was while going out there to doing presentations myself that I met Lisa. I'm not sure how long ago we met or when the first time we met, probably about a year ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, but Lisa told her story and I was really moved by it because uh, just an incredible story of, you know, going through a traumatic incident, horrible incident, and then turning that around in such a positive way. And, and the way that Lisa did that is really an inspiration for, it was an inspiration for me and will be for you as well when you hear her story. So with that, uh, Lisa, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Yeah, well, well go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I uh, retired from the Ohio State Highway Patrol. I spent 25 years there with the division, loved every minute of it. Um, now I'm a, a full-time faculty member at Ohio University, and I am a program coordinator and teach, uh, kind of oversee the law enforcement tech program at the Lancaster campus of Ohio University. Uh, I also uh, co-own a consulting business, um, with two other partners, and we, we really focus more on uh, risk management, traffic crash reconstruction, um, background investigations, uh, uh, computer, mobile, digital forensics, and, and that kind of thing. And so um, one of my two business partners is, is a retired highway patrol officer as well. So we bring a lot of the uh, things that we did with the division to our consulting business. Um, so that's me kind of in a nutshell. Yeah. And so you were, how long ago did you retire? Uh, this year, I think it's been 13 years ago, 13 years ago. And, um, you retired as a major from the Ohio, uh, state highway patrol, correct? Yeah. I commanded our office of finance and logistics services and my staff and I oversaw the budget, the fleet facility and procurement, um, uh, functions for the entire organization. And one thing I did forget in my intro, I also worked for three years um, as a senior operations manager. It was a deputy director level position uh, at a community-based correctional facility here in Columbus. Um, so I, I got to see a different part of the criminal justice spectrum doing that. Yeah, that, that's that's right. And so um, if you could quickly, I understand that uh, with the, the patrol, you were actually were a first in a number of areas. In, in the uh, patrol. 
Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, with the right people around you, you can do great things. Um, so I came on the patrol in 1983 and became a trooper in 1985. Um, was promoted through the ranks and made it to the to the rank of major, but I was um, the first female post commander or lieutenant. I was the first female staff lieutenant, which is an assistant district commander. I was the first captain and district commander uh, and, and was the first major. Um, so I was really fortunate. I had some great people that, that helped uh, lead, guide and direct me to get there. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. And where you're, the part of your story that leads into where we are today is you, uh, one of your hobbies is riding my motorcycles, correct? Yeah. Uh, I, I've always been a, a huge motorcycle enthusiast. My dad and I, um, you know, kind of shared that passion and rode all over the country. Um, and at the time, uh, leading up to when, what you're, what you're getting to, I had probably ridden a, uh, a half a million miles, uh, via motorcycle. In fact, at one time I had six in my garage. Um, I kind of had this vision of having one for every day of the week, but I didn't quite make it. <laughs> <laughs> and so what, so what happened? Take us through that because um, I believe the, well, you go ahead and you tell the story. I think it was after you retired from the patrol. No, 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 no. I take no. that back. You were still with the patrol and you went on a cross country trip. And yeah, if you could just take uh, us from there. Yeah. Every year, uh, a group of ladies and I would take a, a big motorcycle trip. And normally we would take a two week trip. And um, this particular year, I could only go for a week because I was right in the middle of grad school and they had pretty uh, stringent attendance policy. So um, I, I told my friends, I said, you know, I can only take a week. So uh, two of my friends were from Des Moines. Uh, one was from Marietta, Ohio, and everyone met at my house here in uh, Grove City, Ohio. And uh, we left the next day and we were heading toward the Laurel Highlands of Pennsylvania. Um, and along the way, we had stopped in uh, Wheeling at the casino. We spent the night and um, next morning we got up, had breakfast and, and we started heading east on Route 40. And uh, incidentally, this, this was Friday the 13th. Uh, oh, you know, becomes kind of important. So, so on Friday the 13th, I'm the lead bike, uh, heading eastbound on route 40 when an impaired driver, um, about two o'clock in the afternoon came left to center and hit me head on. He slid five feet into my lane and we had a combined impact speed of about 70 miles an hour. Um, so, uh, the guy who hit me ended up being on, uh, Oxycontin, Valium, antidepressants and cocaine. Um, law enforcement ended up getting a search warrant and, and uh, taking his blood. Um, and so the, uh, the impact, as a result of the impact, I didn't walk for a year and I didn't walk well for two years. Um, so my, my left leg was completely degloved. I had uh, endured nine surgeries over the course of four months. My left hand was crushed as well. Um, and so that, um, uh, required some, some hardware, as you can imagine. Um, so, you know, the recovery was long and, uh, um, 
you know, I kind of had to reinvent myself at that point. And so when you, so the extent of your, your injuries, I mean, you were still with the patrol at that point. Mm -hmm. And so what did that mean, you know, professionally? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure having been in a, in a profession for that long, uh, you know, not that it's your, your primary concern, but I mean, let's be honest, if, you know, I'm retired law enforcement myself, I know, I know how we're wired. I know with all those physical injuries at, at some point, at least I would sit back and go, oh, wow. The direction of my life has changed. Uh, well, or what I, were you I, thinking, or what were they thinking? Well, I was thinking absolutely. I would be back in my job. Um, and prior to my accident, we had a year of light duty. Um, but you know, I was preparing to go back to work in a wheelchair in light duty. And frankly, I didn't work the road anymore. My job was administrative. I. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I drove an unmarked car. I, I wore civilian clothes probably a third of the time. <clears throat> um, but but I had every intention of going back. I, I thought, well, you know, I've got a year of light duty. I can get well and pass physical and go back. Um, but it was the decision of one man who arbitrarily made uh, the decision to change the rules. And uh, as I was preparing on a Friday to go back to work on Monday in a wheelchair, uh, this individual sent two people to my house and said the rules have changed and if your doctor can't guarantee today that you'll be back to full duty with no restrictions in six months or less we're going to separate you um now you have a choice you can either be separated which means no pension no comeback rights or or you can choose to retire uh and you have five years of comeback rights and so the, you know the choice was made i i there i couldn't i couldn't not have a paycheck Right. Uh, I couldn't risk my pension. So um, I made the decision to retire. Um, but but I was I was pretty angry about that because I, you know, the rules did change for me and and certainly for everyone else after me. Um, but I but I still, you know, had this desire to come back and I and I had every intention of working my way back uh, to 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 return to the patrol. Uh, but what they didn't tell me is this. If I got to the point where I felt like I could pass the physical, I had to go to my doctor who had to sign off that I could try. Uh, then I would have to go to our academy doctor and that doctor would have to sign off for me to try. And then finally, I would have to go to the retirement board physician who too would have to sign off to let me try. But what they didn't tell me is if I, if I did that, and I took the physical and I didn't pass, not only do I not come back, I lose my pension because oh now my I have three doctors saying that I could come back to work. And so I couldn't risk that. Um, you know, no. uh, you know, I make more on my pension than I do, uh, you know, as a college professor. So I, you know, that was not, that was not a viable choice at that time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> talk about taking care of your people. Right. And, and I know, I know throughout my entire career, I was always told what a family we were and, and how we, you know, we're always out to take care of ourselves. And then, then you have something like this happen and then you realize what it, it may be a family, but it may be a very dysfunctional family. 
Um, and and, and I know? do want to clarify though, Mike, because I, I don't I don't hold the division responsible for that. I hold one person responsible for that. Right. Um, right. The division treated me very well, and I will always be uh, thankful for that. I had a great support system. Um, they have been nothing but good to me. Uh, but it, you know, I, that one person, yeah, I was I was pretty upset about that. Well, and that leads into wh- where we are with this particular discussion, and and those that are listening to this podcast are either in recovery, trying to get in recovery, or knows someone that needs to be in recovery, or they're supporting someone that is. And we all know that uh, it's the moments like this that really can take us down that dark hole when you have, you know, we talk about people, places, things, and situations are what lead us down that dark hole, causes and conditions. Um that if if you're wired the right way and you have the the right or wrong exposures, incidents like this can really really take you to a dark place. So here you are, you're facing this, right? So it's right. bad enough that you're you battle for your life. You're you're wondering if you're ever going to be physically uh, the same or be able to do the things that you want to do and the things that you love, and. I mean, that's bad enough. That's a bad enough journey for anyone. But now you're facing this issue at work and you're wondering, you know, uh, well, you know, at first you're worried about your career and getting back to work. And now it's a matter of, am I even going to get a pension after all these years? And that's got to be, so how did that, so at the same time, you're working on getting well physically and mentally and but you have this battle going on. How did that affect you? I mean, you personally with, you know, so what was going on with you? Uh, at this point, because it had to be a struggle uh, as you were facing this. Well, you know, the crash was a life altering kind of situation. And, you know, my life changed drastically that day. Um, The fact that I had to retire on a disability pension meant I lost 40% of my income for the rest every year for the rest of my working life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you know, who who, who knew that that was going to happen? Uh, but thankfully I've been a, a saver and, and I, you know, I didn't lose my home. I did, I, no, no bill went unpaid and I, I had a half a million dollars worth of medical bills. Um, but, um, you know, I had, I had to reevaluate and reassess where am I going to go? Uh, because it didn't look like I was going to get back on the patrol. Um, but the fortunate thing was I had 25 years in and I was able to retire and I retired well, but I wasn't mentally retired ready to retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wasn't ready. You know, I, at that time I was 43 years of age and I was too, you know, I felt, I'm, I, I felt like I still had a lot to offer. And, um, and so I had to kind of, again, re, re, reinvent myself. So um, once I got to the point where I could walk well, I started uh, actively looking for, for work and, um, I was very fortunate because I got in as an adjunct professor at Ohio University uh, back in 2008, and uh, that that opened a lot of doors for me. Um, I, I applied for a job at a community-based correctional facility and ended up getting that and uh, did that job for three years, and it was a great opportunity to see a different part of the criminal justice uh, field but I will readily admit I'm more geared for the law enforcement end rather than the corrections end. But it, but you know, I teach about that now. So I, I'm very, very thankful for that opportunity, made some great friends, um, learned an awful lot. 
you know, with the Highway Patrol, I oversaw a $300 million a year budget at the community-based correctional facility. It was only a 5.2 or $5.3 million budget. But, um, you know, it, it taught me a whole different uh, part of government. You know, I'd worked for a state agency and then I worked for a, fed, uh, or a county agency. And so I did that. And uh, uh, in the interim, also started a consulting business with two of my friends. And um, uh, I will readily admit my two business partners do way more with the business than I do today because I, I teach full time, but they, they travel, they, they work all over the country and um, do crash reconstruction and all kinds of other uh, computer, mobile, digital forensics kind of things. So, um, you know, had it not been for the wreck, I wouldn't have had some of those opportunities. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, I, I think you and I talked kind of off, uh, as a sidebar com conversation earlier, you know, I, I can't begrudge the situation when it has actually blessed me in so many ways, if that makes sense. Well, it does. And that's, that's where we're leading to this next, because I know you and I share sort of the, the same worldview. And for those of, of you listening that are in recovery or have been around recovery programs, um, you know about this whole concept of, you know, nothing happens by an accident. You know, everything happens for a reason. And um, I know that, um, I don't know what your viewpoint prior to your accident and prior to this whole incident or this whole journey for you was, but I know that that's what you believe now. And so um, flashing back, because I, I know you, you got down this journey because of what happened in the crash initially. And so what happened after that was obviously there's some legal implications for this individual that hit you. And preparing for that, the, the legal uh, situation, kind of led you to collecting notes and preparing for that. And, and tell us a, bit, a little bit about that story and what that led to. So um, the, uh, the crash happened, like I said, um, on Friday the 13th of July in 2007. And uh, during that time, I was keeping notes. Um, and and I, I have to tell this story because this is such a, uh, a God thing. Um, so I, when I was riding my motorcycle on Route 40, I actually had a passenger who, who was also a, re, uh, a highway patrol officer. And uh, we all had our own bikes. But for whatever reason, that particular trip, we decided to double up. And um, so... You know, we were both pretty uh, injured pretty badly. And uh, interestingly enough, I had been part of a process years before with the Highway Patrol where I would go around the country and I'd help other state police agencies prepare for assessment centers. And I would help help them, you know, evaluate officers. Well, uh, years before this, my wreck happened, I had gone to an assessment center. I believe it was in Pennsylvania. And I had been, uh, met a, a captain on the West Virginia uh, State Police, uh, her name was Tina, and befriended her, you know, and after the assessment center, we, we remained friends and uh, had, she had been to my home, I'd been to her home, we, you know, visited and, and, and so forth. The day of my wreck, she happened to be having, she happened to be having a pool party at her home. And one of the, her guests that showed up said, uh, boy, there was a really bad wreck on Route 40 involving two Ohio State Highway Patrol officers. And she said, I, I don't know how I knew that, but I just knew it was you. 
And so my friend Tina left her pool party, jumped in her uniform and went to Wheeling Memorial Hospital and met me there. And she said, I don't know how I knew this, but I knew this was you. Um, and so she was wonderful in going to some of the pretrial hearings for me because I was not um, mobile. And so she would go to some of the uh, pretrials and, uh, you know, take notes for me and report back to me as to what, what was going on with my case. So, um, so during this time, you know, from July of 07 until May of 08, which we, when we were prepared to go to trial, um, you know, I was collecting all this this information, the notes, the, uh, you know, everything about the case. And uh, so the week that I was supposed to go to trial in May of 08, uh, we were supposed to start the trial on a Friday. And on Wednesday, the prosecutor in West Virginia called me and said, uh, don't bother showing up. And I said, well, you know, why? And he said, uh, uh, the guy who hit you, committed suicide, which I would have mm. never, ever, ever, ever wanted. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't hate him. I, I, I wanted him to get help. Um, but he, like many people, kind of, you know, uh, was injured back in the mid-90s, from what I understand, uh, fell off a ladder in a, in a, at his workplace. So he was involved in an industrial accident. And as a result of his injuries, uh, his doctor prescribed him Oxycontin uh, and, you know, different narcotics. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, he legitimately got hooked on, hooked on painkillers and um, that kind of took him down that rabbit hole that you talked about. Yeah. And, um, and it, you and I both know that when uh, uh, law enforcement started cracking down on doctors who were prescribing these things um, so readily, um, people had to go to other measures or, you know, find other ways to, uh, to deal with their pain issues. So, so he, he committed suicide. Um, and I ended up writing a letter to his family and, and explaining that I certainly would never have wanted that to happen and just wanted him to get help. Um, so when, when I found out he committed suicide, I thought, well, gosh, what do I do with all these notes that I've been compiling over the course of, you know, almost a year now? And so it, uh, those notes ended up evolving into a, a faith-based book. Um, I entitled it, Was It Irony or Was It God? Because like you said, you know, I'm a Christian, so I believe there is a plan. Uh, and I believe that everything happens for a reason. Nothing happens by happenstance. And so, um, you know, it evolved, evolved into this book and, uh, um, you know, whether anyone ever reads it or not, it, you know, I, I certainly, it, it was very cathartic for me to, to tell the story. Well, I, I read it, so you know at least I've read it. Thank you. <laughs> and it is, a, it is a fantastic book. It really is. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, in, in writing that book, um, so you go, you tell people this story. So, he, he committed suicide and you believe that uh, everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And what are you using that that journey now to uh, to do what? To, what do you? What is the message that you want people to hear from from this? 
because this was a collision course of uh, his addiction. Um, you, it it mm-hmm. changed your 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 life, and based on your your faith, you you believe everything happens for a reason, and the, that ultimately there is a purpose uh, for everything that happens in your life, and that purpose is always for another plan. And so, with that, what what do you think in your life right now is going on? What is that plan, or what are you using it for? How do you think it's it's uh, impacting others? Well, you know, when, when my wreck happened, uh, you know, I was in a dark place. I, I was angry. I was, I was pretty bitter for a while. And, uh, and incidentally, um, you know, during my recovery, I, I endured a, a number of surgeries over the course of um, yeah. three months. And, and what I didn't say earlier, you know, not only was my leg degloved, all the muscle, uh, skin, uh, big parts of my bone. But when the EMTs were loading me into the squad, one of them inadvertently dropped the end of the gurney and I hit the pavement. Um, and so a, a foot of my bone in my left femur hit the pavement and that, that was bone they could never reuse. So, um, so over the course of four months, not only did I have muscle graft surgery, uh, skin grafting, um, my final surgery was bone grafting and, um, worst surgery of my life. Right. I mean, this was the worst surgery, but, um, prior to the bone grafting surgery, I had been on Oxycontin three times a day, every day for, for four months. And, um, you know, I never felt high from that drug, but I decided one day, um, as I lay in a hospital bed in my living room that I wasn't going to take it anymore. And I quickly realized how dependent my body had become to that opiate. And uh, I started going through withdrawal. And um, I mean, to the point where my family was ready to call the squad because they didn't know what was going on. And frankly, neither did I. I'd never experienced anything like that. Mm. So um, they called uh, the pharmacist and the pharmacist said, she can't just stop that. You know, she needs to wean herself off that slowly. So, so I did, right. Instead of taking three a day, the next week I took two a day and the next week I took one a day and I finally got off of the uh, painkillers. And um, so fast forward to November of that year, they said, we need to do the bone grafting because where I had been missing that foot of bone in my left femur, they had actually put concrete in my left leg to hold the place. And so, uh, and that was, you know, I was non-weight bearing. So the, the concrete simply held the place of the bone until they could do the bone grafting. And you can't do bone grafting until you have the flesh and the muscle to support it. So um, they, they, they uh, stabilized my leg, you know, did the, bone, did the uh, skin grafting and the muscle grafting, let that all heal. And then four months after my wreck, they opened that flap back up, took the concrete out. And the plan was to uh, use my own bone marrow from my, le- from my right leg uh, with some collagen and cadaver bone and, and recreate my, my left femur. Well, remember, I told you I was off opiates and I told them I did not want to use opiates during that surgery, which was the worst surgery ever. Um, so during the surgery, they had to harvest bone and marrow from my good leg to put in my bad. And what they didn't tell me is they actually ran a rod through my knee and broke my good leg. to fix my Oh my gosh. 
And so when I woke up, um, I literally felt like I'd been hit by a truck and, uh, I ended up, you know, I, of course, I didn't know my leg was broken. I was bleeding internally and ended up having, I think, over the course of this, about 11 blood transfusions. So um, they wanted to put me back on opiates. And I went through that surgery with Tylenol uh, because I just refused to do that. That was, a, that was a, 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 a rabbit hole that I didn't want to, to go down. And so uh, it was tough, you know, but I, I quickly realized how dependent my body had become on that. And I didn't, I didn't want to skirt that disaster. You know, I, I didn't want to be one of the, the people who end up getting hooked on, on painkillers. So, um, so, you know, I teach law enforcement classes, criminal justice type classes, and I'm very open with my students, especially when I teach a class called Vice and Narcotics. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't identify as an addict. Let me, let me make that very clear. Uh, but I, I recognize now how quickly someone can become addicted to, uh, prescription medications, which can lead to other things. Um, and so while I don't identify as being an addict, uh, it sure made me, uh, realize how quickly that could happen. And I share that story with my students because I think, um, you know, if I can help one person not go down that road, um, then then I've been successful in that regard. But um, it, it sure made me a lot more empathetic toward people who um, legitimately get hooked. Yeah, and it really shows you how our addiction, if if you have that addiction, how it can impact others. You know, I often here in the recovery world, people I work with, you know, people that are in that like pre-contemplative stage or contemplative stage of recovery, whether when they, in the, in the back of their mind, they are thinking that, you know, I need to do something about this, you know, for me, but I'm not quite there yet. You know, you, you hear people say, I'm not harming anyone else. Okay. It, what I do with my body, what I do with my life is my business and I'm not harming anyone else. But I think this is an example of where that's not, you know, you got to remember our use can and does have impacts, impacts other people. It, it, it impacted you. I mean, it, it altered the course of your life. Absolutely. It impacted, um, you know, him, obviously. And then just think of the family, you know, his, his family, your, your family and his family. And I think that we forget that, you know, just how destructive addiction can be on everyone in our universe. You know, he ended mm -hmm. up not being a uh, productive member of society. I don't know if he had children. I don't know if you know if he had children or a relationship at one point. Obviously, that's that's gone. I mean, it's just so much destruction all around. Mm -hmm. And the, the it's never too late to get help. You know, I don't know this individual's life. I don't know what attempts he made to get well, if he ever made an attempt to get well. But if you're listening today and you are in the situation that this man was in, there is help that's out there. Recovery is possible and it can be done. And there are people that can help you, but you have to have that. The first step is willingness and a willingness to uh, learn from others and to, to one, recognize that you need the help and then be willing to get it. And then three, actually start moving down the path to get well. So these types of things can, um, you know, so these things can be prevented. Now, Lisa, the, what you did, what you turned this into a positive I think the vast majority of people don't 
have the outlook that you have. And that's why it's such an inspiring story that, that you have, because it's, it, it's just a great message that, you know, no matter what happens to us, we, we can make it good. We can reinvent ourselves. We can move into a different direction. It's not the end of the book. It's just the, it's the end of a chapter and you opened a new chapter and you, you go in, into that new direction and you've done an excellent job in doing that. So uh, I know uh, the first time I heard your story was you presented at the Ohio PCIS in, in front of uh, the people that were attending. And I was just blown away at how positive you were. Everything. <laughs> Everything. You, you were just so positive. Oh, this was, this was an opportunity. This was, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate the people here, you know, helping me out, you know, because, the, you know, what they meant for harm. You know, it's the old adage that what they meant for harm towards me i i used for good and and it really inspired me and i will tell the listeners the book uh lisa's book was it irony or was it god i read it uh on the way home from that trip the first time we met and it's not a it's not a hard read it's uh it's actually you can go through it pretty quick but it's just so much packed into that book and i just walked away um you know, um, I, I didn't mention this, and, I, and it just occurred to me, Lisa, and you may remember this. When and I saw you, now I now I distinctly remember the first time I heard your story. Um, a little little backstory here: I um, blew a disc out of my blower back. Uh, do you remember this, Lisa? When I came yes, out to I Ohio, do. PCS, yeah, and it was on this trip. And and just so the listeners know, about a week or two, maybe two weeks prior to going out on that trip, I blew out my lower disc, one of my discs in my back. Ultimately, had to have surgery after I went on that trip to Ohio. I eventually had surgery, and uh, but I hadn't had surgery yet prior to going on that trip, and I was in incredible pain. And um, this this seminar that we were at was three days, and I suffered. I mean, suffered through that whole week uh, because I didn't want to back out of a commitment that I had made to the the people to do a presentation there. And I was feeling sorry for myself. I was just feeling, uh, you know, <laughs> cause I just knew I was going to have to go through surgery. And I was just, you know, in that, that, you know, woe is me type of thing and feeling sorry for myself. And I think you were the last speaker um, to go up before me and, and right at the point where I was feeling sorry for myself, you got up and you told your story and I, and I didn't know your story, but then you told your story and I, and I felt bad cause I was like, Oh, I think I'll stop my complaining now. <laughs> After everything you had gone through, wow, what I'm going through is nothing. Everything is relative, my friend. It is, yeah. But it was, but I was really moved by your story, and um, and I, I just uh, appreciate you doing everything that you do and all that you do. And in a far, do you have one last uh, message for our listeners today? On you know, what well, would you want people to walk away with? Well, one thing I I did want to share, you know, <laughs> this Ohio assist. Uh, post-traumatic, uh, post-critical incident seminars that we do. You know, I was asked to be a participant uh, back, I think, in 19 or 2016. And um, so I, I went through it uh, and later became a peer. Um, and then I became a presenter and uh, eventually uh, was asked to serve as president of the nonprofit. And, uh, um, you know, that thing was, was truly... Uh, a, a God thing too for me because you know that evolution of of not only experience and but the roles that I've played there has just been so therapeutic um, 
you know, it, it helped me realize that, um, you know, everyone suffers trauma and everyone deals with it differently. But uh, for me, uh, kind of really helped me put things into perspective. And, um, you know, if you're in that dark place, if, if you if if you are going through rough times, uh, you always have options. You always, always have options. Yeah. Um, and there's always help. Uh, if, if you, if you look now, rock bottom is different for everybody. You know, maybe you have to reach that rock bottom, but, um, there's help out there. And, uh, you know, the work that, and I'm not saying this because I'm part of Ohio assist, but, um, Mike, I think you can attest to that. I mean, we're doing some life changing oh, yeah. with that group, you know, and, and, uh, just the fact that people can, can come in a safe place and, talk about their issues and, and realize that there's help. Um, you know, I, I think it's just a, an amazing thing. It is. And, and just such important work, Lisa, and we really appreciate all that you do. And um, thanks again for your time. And folks, as always, I'm just going to say that I don't represent any group. Um, you know, we talk about a lot of different groups on here. We don't necessarily re represent the the groups as in, um, we're officials from them, but we're just letting you know that these are the, the resources that are out there. And uh, our only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what, what we've done because it's it's helped us and maybe it can help you too. And we certainly do hope that it helps you because if you're listening to this podcast, there's probably a reason why you're listening to it. And so if we've said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then that's that's okay. Just go ahead and discard that, but use the things that you can for yourself yourself, and then use that to help others as well. Uh, you know, that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we help to impart the knowledge we've gained to help others as well. And so with that, please visit uh, our Facebook page, Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Hey, and, and if you get a chance, um, we've discussed Lisa's book, which is Was It Irony or Was It God? That's by Lisa J. Taylor, and it is available on Amazon. And it's not that expensive. It's a great book. I've read it. I highly recommend it. And you'll get to hear a lot more details about the story that, that Lisa went through. And it's just just a very inspiring story. So, uh, folks, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to our Facebook page if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or topics that you want to hear from. Let us know. And we look forward to seeing you all soon. And take care.